this is Caleb Arend with the Walk with God podcast and YouTube channel. Today is the 11th of August, 2020, and we're going to be reading from Psalm 31, verses 19 through 24 today, Nehemiah chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 14. Then we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 21, verse 4. Then we will read from the first half of chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians today. But before we get started, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word, for your truth that you have given us. Please bless it to our minds and to our hearts. Help us to grow stronger and healthier. Help us to grow in your word, to grow in your truth, to grow in your love, to grow in our understanding of your grace and your truth and mercy and your honor and your honesty and your holiness, Lord. Help us to know you and to know you better and more. Help us to apply your word to our lives, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 31. We're going to read verses 19 through 24 today, and that says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. And that's an amazing word of encouragement from the Lord. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. And we are uh, encouraged, we're admonished, we're instructed to continue to love that the Lord. We should never forget that our first commandment, our first love, is to be and to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. And because of the reason for the Lord preserveth the faithful. He has preserved us. He has saved us. He has saved us from uh, spiritual uh, loss and death. He has saved us from hell, but he's also saved us in this life, and he preserves us in this life by providing our daily bread, our daily needs. And he pre um, also, it says, plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. And so even those that are in this world that they maybe seem to be getting away with everything right now, there will come a time of judgment. There will come a time where they have to give an account and they have to answer for every single word that they have spoken, every thought that they have had, every decision that they've made, and every action that they've taken. They have to give an answer for all of that. And if it's not that which is built up for the Lord and done for the Lord, then it will be lost. But we can be of good courage, it says in verse 24. And he, the Lord, shall strengthen our heart all ye that hope in the Lord. And so we are to continue to hope in the Lord. And he is our great hope and our refuge. Now turning to the book of Nehemiah, we're going to read from chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 15 today. And it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. 
And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, The queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the, the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were brought down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. 
and the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we may be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn, and despised us, and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us, therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Chapter 3 then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate, they sanctified it, and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, they sanctified it, unto the tower of Hananiel, and next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and next to them builded Zakur the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the sons of Hasaneah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabiel, and next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Baana, and next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah. They laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maronathite, the men of Gibeon, and of Mizpah, unto the throne of the governor on this side the river. And next unto him repaired Uziel, the son of Harhiah, of the goldsmiths. Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries, and they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. And next unto them repaired Rephaiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. And next unto them repaired Jediah, the son of Harumath, even over against his house. And next unto him repaired Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah and Malkijah the son of Harim, and Hashub the son of Pahath Moab, repaired the other piece, and the tower of the furnaces. And next unto him repaired Shalom the son of Halohesh, the ruler of the half-part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. The valley gate repaired Hanun, and the inhabitants of Zenoah, they built it, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of part of beth Hakerem. He built it, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalun, the son of Colhose, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it, and covered it, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of Siloah, by the king's garden, and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. Today we've just started the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in Persia. Now, this Artaxerxes was, a, it's, uh, there have been a couple of different theories. One has believed that it might have been Artaxerxes II, which uh, was between the time frames of 404 to 359 BC, but there are some other, uh, I think, external to, to the Bible sources 
of historical documents that uh, mention like Sanballat as the governor of Samaria. And so this would have put them more in the time of Artaxerxes the first Long, uh, Longomanus, I think is the name that they have given him. I'm not a, a Persian historian, so I apologize if I'm messing up the names, but uh, this would have put Ezra and Nehemiah in the uh, reign of Artaxerxes the first from 400 uh, 57 BC, which would have been would have been the seventh year of his reign, so he started in approximately 464 BC for his reign. In the seventh year is when Ezra moved to Jerusalem and began and to restore the temple worship and the priestly order and uh, beginning to repopulate Jerusalem. Then in 454 BC, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, is when Nehemiah, 12 years later, would have gone to Jerusalem to help repopulate the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah, the kingdom of Judah there, and then also to build up the walls. And so this is where the beginning of this book is starting at in that 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes the king, in this 400 and 45th year BC. Nehemiah gets permission from the king and he also gets letters from the king stating that uh, the rulers on the other sides of the river there, possibly this Sanballat, the governor of Samaria, and some of the other rulers in the area should provide for their provisions that they need to rebuild the wall and to build up the city of Jerusalem again. But when he gets there, he sees that it's even in kind of like a, a worse condition than he thought it would. He goes out by night on the third day with a couple of his companions and they look and they survey the different walls and the gates and the uh, even the streets that sometimes are filled with debris and with rubble and with places and things that have collapsed or fallen down or uh, things that will need to use a lot of manpower, a lot of energy, and a lot of labor to move. And this is just a disheartening position to be in. But they strengthened their hands and they strengthened their hearts and they focused on getting the job done. And it records then on uh, in verse in chapter 2 verse 18 let us rise up and build so they strengthened their hands for this good work and so they strengthened their hands and they strengthened their minds and their hearts as well to do that job that the Lord would want them to do and had called them to do and that Nehemiah had come to Jerusalem to do here it says uh, historically that he was here for about 12 years and then he left and returned back to Shusan or Susa in Persia to return back to the king, which he had promised to do when he left the king in the first place. And so he fulfilled that promise as well. But in the meantime, while they were building this wall and these places, uh, Nehemiah, they record in chapter three, all of the different leaders or the heads of the different projects and all of their brethren, their families, their people that were helping to build up this wall. And so they built up the tower of Hananiel. They built up the uh, wall between the doors and they built up the doors and the gates. And so they set and repaired all the locks for those gates as well so that they could stay shut or be that they could be opened. They repaired the walls themselves so that they would give a good defense. And back in these days and these times in this uh, 400 years BC to 500 years BC, as well as back in the early thousands of BCs, 
A town's walls were its greatest defense against any type of military attack or any type of surprise attack or anything. Its ability to withstand and to defend its population was built mainly upon those walls. If they were thin and easy to be knocked down, then the people were not going to be defended very well. They could not feel very safe. But even Nebuchadnezzar's walls that were 80 feet thick in Babylon, even he was defeated at one point, and his walls were laid waste. So it just goes to show that our trust and our hope really is mainly in the Lord our God. He is the only sure defense. But when the Lord has called us to a specific work, to something that he wants us to do and that he has given us a vision and a focus and a heart and a burden to do, we should do that. We should strengthen our hands to do that. We should not uh, shun away or turn away from it. We should not be disheartened even if it does look big. The Lord will give us the power, the strength, the focus, and the energy to get it done. Now let's turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 21. And reading verse 4 today, it says, "In high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. And so here we have a high look. So someone who has their eyes lifted up above that which is around them. Someone who does not want to even look down upon anyone. They want to keep their eyes focused only on themselves and their own heart and their own mind and their own desires and their own lusts and a proud heart. Those who uh, think that in their heart that they are much better than everyone else, that everyone else around them is lower or that no one else uh, has the honor or the integrity or the deserve, like the deserving nature to have their time or their attention and their energy and the plowing of the wicked, the actions and the decisions and following through with the plans of wickedness and iniquity. All of these things are sin and God does not like them. God hates them. God hates sin. Let's remember the lessons that Jesus has taught us that if we will humble ourselves, God will lift us up. Now turning to the book of Corinthians, we're going to read from chapter 7 today. And we're going to read chapter 7 verses 1 through 24. And it says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission, and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he is pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. 
But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Here in chapter 7 of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul was answering some of the questions that the Corinthian church had written unto him and asked him about. And one of the answers he's giving is instructions for a man not to touch a woman. So if a man is single, he's unmarried, he is not to touch a woman. So this talks about physical contact and physical interaction. In the Jewish culture, it was lawful for a brother to hug his sister and for a brother, uh, for a sister to hug her brother and to show physical affection in the open and in the marketplace. But if a man uh, was not related directly to a woman and not married to her, it was not lawful for them to show uh, physical inter intimacy or to uh, show any public displays of affection or anything like that. That was first and foremost to be reserved only for marriage. And then after that, it was also to be reserved for private. Public displays of affection were not considered uh, appropriate in that culture as well. And so Paul then moves on to answer the question uh, of about avoiding fornication. Let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. And then let the husband render unto the wife do benevolence, have him be loving towards her and express and show and prove that love on a regular basis. And let also the wife also render due benevolence and kindness and grace and love unto her husband as well. And the husband and the wife, because they are one flesh, because they are married and in a bond of marriage for, etern uh, for all of their life, they have not power over their own bodies. They are now one flesh. And that, so they are to submit themselves one to another and not defraud one another. Talking uh, specifically about husband and wife intermarital intimacy that could possibly bring forth children as well, but is not doesn't necessarily have to bring forth children, but also it's saying defraud ye not one the other. Speaking of that, uh, the act of marriage, the physical interaction, and that close intimacy, and speaking of that, not to refrain, not to pull back, not to say no, not to just flippantly say that um, that one is just too tired or too stressed out or too exhausted if that's not an actual 
like legitimately good reason to do so defraud ye not the other one and so in that way if husbands and wives are open and receptive to one another on a regular basis in the act of marriage then it leaves uh, much less room for there to be any temptation or any lust of the flesh that the devil could use to try to draw or to pull either one of them away. And that starts with the acts of love, of showing and proving love toward one another on a daily basis. But Paul also writes and says that if they do pull away from one another, let it be with consent, let it be with agreement between one another, and only for a short amount of time so that they can give themselves to the fasting and to prayer and to focusing on God, and then to come back and return to one another as well. But uh, Paul said that I would have all men, I would that all men were even as myself. Paul, I don't believe, was ever married, and he lived his life completely and solely focused on the Lord God and following after him with all of his energy, with all of his time, with all of his heart. And so it would have been a very difficult life for a woman, for a wife, to live along with him doing all of that. He says to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them to abide even as I. And so showing that he was single and that he was un, either an unmarried or a widower. But since the scriptures never ever mention a wife, he never mentions one, uh, even a previous one in all of his writings. And since tradition says it, we believe that he was single and that he was completely dedicated in his, in his life to the Lord. But it also talks about divorce as well. If a wife depart, let her remain unmarried, or if a husband departs, let him remain unmarried. And, uh, let not the put, husband put away his wife. And so if people were married to unbelievers, they are not to just get divorced to them, uh, from them, because they unbelieve. Because it says, uh, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. But what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or knowest thou, O man, let whether thou shalt save thy wife? And so if they leave, it's, it's okay. You don't have to uh, commit yourself to following after them, even though they're leaving. And you don't have to commit to uh, not believing in God just because they don't and they're leaving. But you, uh, if they are content to and happy to dwell with you and to be with you and to continue to be your spouse, then you don't divorce them. You continue to be with them, show them the love of God, and you might have the chance to uh, get them saved because of that opportunity, because of that love that you can show them on a daily basis. Then they also wrote him and asked him about circumcision. So Paul writes and he answers about circumcision that it does not matter how a man has come to God he can remain as he has come to God in that state. And so if he was circumcised before, he doesn't need to try to reverse that in any way. He doesn't need to try to live like the world either. If he was uncircumcised, he does not need to get circumcised. He does not need to place himself underneath the law or the restrictions or the commandments or the traditions of the Jewish nation and the Hebrew fathers that they had descended from. He can uh, stay uncircumcised. Paul says it succinctly in verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. He also answered the question about servants and free men. Art thou being called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be free, use it rather. And so if you have the opportunity to become free and you uh, you can, then you should go ahead and become free 
and then being able to follow after the Lord with all of your freedom and with all of your heart. But you don't need to feel pressured that you must become free if you are a servant already. You also don't need to feel pressured to become a servant if you're a free man. Just follow after the Lord. You're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. And so if it's possible to be fully committed to Christ, then do so. There were a lot of questions that the Corinthian church had that Paul took the time to answer each one of them attentively and with good energy and with a good effort. Friend, if you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to try to answer them too. Please email them to me at wwgcaleb at gmail.com. That's wwgcaleb at gmail.com. I'll be sure to look for those and to pray with you for any prayer requests that you might send as well. Thanks for listening once again. We'll see you tomorrow for the next Walk with God podcast.